Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CDUSA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Most successful fly fishing ventures begin as an idea scribbled on a bar napkin. The formula includes a passion for fly fishing, of course, and a product or service that fills a niche. From there, it really comes down to commitment, elbow grease, and perseverance. Our guest today carved out a niche in a region that withstood the Ice Age, and we can't wait to hear the full story of Black Earth angling. Kyle Zempel, welcome to the show. Hey guys, happy to be here. And as we started this episode, we let you know this is the first time Jess and I are co co interviewing, and um, we're excited to hear some fishing stories from you, Kyle. Yeah, I think I think I probably have one for you. All right, man, fire away, fire when ready. Well, so recently, I uh, I guess it shouldn't be recently, but it's uh, I've been I've been going uh, saltwater fishing in my off season uh, quite a bit, and uh, so I'm going to take you to the the flats of a unknown destination. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, was, was out bone fishing, um, this past, well, I guess it would have been last February and, uh, was out there doing my thing, searching around and had been fishing for about a week and a half at this point, um, out there searching around for bonefish. And, um, earlier in the day, uh, I'd run into another guy who I was fishing with and he had said that he had this rather large shark chase down one of his bonefish and it, you know, we've been walking away bone fishing for probably up to, I don't know, probably eight years now. And, uh, it's one of the biggest sharks he had seen on a, on a flat. It was like one of those where his back was like out of the water type of deals. And, um, and this is an inland flat mind you. So it's not real common to have, uh, you know, large sharks out there. Most of them are, you know, in the three to four foot range and usually nothing of too concern. And 
So I was out there later that day and uh, I had uh, spotted this moving shape in the distance and it was a shark and I thought to myself that it's a good size shark and but I kept looking for bonefish and you know you're kind of scanning and pretty focused in at that point and <laughs> walking along and kind of peek over there in that direction again and it's kind of making its way my direction at this I mean it's it's a long ways out at this point it's you know it's, sharks are usually pretty easy to spot from a distance and I keep looking for bonefish and carrying on and again he's still coming straight straight my way which isn't uncommon for sharks out there they're pretty curious creatures i think they hear a little commotion and they and they head that way and you know normally um they get you know a little close to you or uncomfortable you can stomp your foot and that'll usually send them off in the in the opposite direction um but usually i'm not too bothered by them and it's something that you experience out on the flats pretty regularly and kind of watching this thing and it's getting a getting a little close for comfort and so i uh you know do the normal stomp the foot and uh this the shark just full on full speed accelerates right at me and <laughs> I'm, I'm like i i i would love to hear the noises that were coming out of my mouth at that point but i i, of course, I start r running in a backwards direction which is probably the last thing you want to do is make more commotion um and i'm like slapping my rod at it and it's like and next thing you know it's like between my feet and uh you know, it's just like, you know, like just the bottom's all stirred up and I don't like, I can see it's like back and I, I like, you know, I'm jumping up and down and like I stomp on its head and it, it turns and like bolts off. And I'm just like, I am just rattled. Like my, my whole body is just like shaking um, at this point. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, like I said, I'd spend enough time on the flats to know that, you know, sharks usually aren't, aren't a big deal out there, especially like in the inland flats where, uh, you know they're not they're not oceanside. They just can't come up come up out of blue water or anything like that to to be on the flats. So I uh, I was rattled to say the least, <laughs> and uh, I'm about I'm probably three miles from where I get off the flat, and uh, so I have to now decide if I want to continue to fish or uh, or bugger out of there. And uh, <laughs> so it was. Uh, I decided I'd, I'd be best if I could uh, maybe just fish my way back uh, towards the direction I needed to go, but uh, it became a little difficult when I was looking over my shoulder the entire time <laughs> behind me. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, not really a Midwest story, but uh, something that that rattled me quite a bit. And then the worst part about it was is I got back probably oh right around sunset to where I have to um, cross this deep channel and at low tide, it's no big deal. It's maybe, you know, just above your belly button. And then, uh, at high tide it's, uh, it's, you can't touch. So you got to swim across it. And, uh, I'm sitting there and like, again, I'm usually not too, too freaked out by, <laughs> by this type of stuff. And uh, I'm like trying to pep talk myself to, to cross this, this, uh, you know, it's like a, I don't know, 30 yard, deep you know 30 yard channel to to the shore and you can't really see in the water at this point and i'm uh out there just kind of like pep talking myself to to swim across this channel knowing that <laughs> that thing's still out there somewhere you know um yeah so it was it was an experience uh that i that i probably won't forget and had never really had it on the out on the water so uh, i thought that would be a fun one to share with you guys do you remember what kind of what kind of shark it was you know i I, th I thought it was a lemon shark, but it all happened so quickly that uh, um, I, I, I did not know. But it was big. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, probably it was well over five feet. Like, you know, it was like something that and, and this this flat in particular is a really nice one. It's like got really nice bottom. Uh, and so I've been barefoot waiting, which if I can barefoot wait, I always do. Uh, you're just stealthier, you know, the whole nine. Um, and that day. Um, I had ventured over to this area that I hadn't gone before and it, it the, the, the color of the bottom kind of changes. And I assumed it was maybe like a little more like crushed, you know, like shell gravel, like a little more rough on your feet maybe. And uh, I had been, I had been waiting for like a week and a half at this point. So my feet were, were a little, a uh, little tired. Yeah. And so I'm going to, I'm going to throw my, my boots on today. Um, and that was the first day I had put my boots on since I had been there. 
<laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty glad I had him on because I don't like, I don't know if I would have been maybe missing a toe or not, but it was certainly <laughs> right. So was the shark like following, escorting you out of there or uh, <laughs> did it, did it hang around or did you just not know where it was after the initial encounter? I didn't, I mean, he took off and um, like out of sight at that point, he kind of went back to the deeper water um, and I, I mean, I, I stomped him pretty good. So I imagine he was like pretty turned off at that point. Um, but I, after walking around, you know, like I saw another shark that I like really freaked me out on the walk back, but it certainly wasn't the same size and quickly like, okay, calm down. Like it's, <laughs> this doesn't happen every day. <laughs> so I don't know if it was just like, uh, you know, some sort of shark with an attitude out there or what, but, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> it was certainly, uh, it was really hard to bonefish after after that, you know, on the way back because you, you got to kind of keep your focus out there, especially on foot, you know. Yeah. And uh, there was no focus to be had other than like, I want to get out of here. Justin, do you remember when we were in the Bahamas? That's what I was just going to say. I <laughs> thought you were going to tell I was story. honestly, <laughs> we were in the Bahamas and this was, what was that, like three? No, five years ago. Five years ago? Yeah, yeah. Wow. But this was crazy. It was, uh, what kind of sharks were they? Um, those were tiger sharks. Yeah. And there were so many of them. Um, our buddy who had, had an uncle that lives, lives in the Bahamas was like, I have never seen this many sharks in on our, the flat. And actually like, Oh, they were not. Yeah. It was yeah. highly, highly unusual and creepy as hell. And yeah. Yeah. But the same thing. I remember I was swimming and, um, the uncle was like, Hey, there's a shark. You need to get out of the water. And I was kind of like right by the water. I mean, I was right by the boat. So I was like, I must have enough time um, to just jump out. And that shark just speed, like a, it, like a, it was crazy. And I jumped out. It was the scariest, but I know that feeling when you're like, <gasps> yeah, that um, I had left the boat. I was on a stand up paddleboard heading <laughs> yes. over to go fish this flat on the other side. And, you know, there's obviously there's lots of sharks in the Bahamas. You see them all the time. But the, this shark that swam by me looked completely different. And so I'm watching the shark go by me and I'm like, what in the hell was that thing? And then I hear this commotion over by the boat. And so I, instead of fishing, I kind of like, hey, I'm going to turn around and go see what's up. So I go back over there and um, yeah, this tiger shark was in a few feet of water on a flat. And it came right up to uh, the little catamaran boat that uh, Lauren and her friends were on. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was really freaky, man. Like that was, it was really unusual. And then, um, you know, what even made it, uh, made it more creepy was when we got home just a few days later, that uh, snorkeler, yeah. that gal was dismembered by two tiger sharks oh, yeah like yeah. in the same area anyways it's it's just crazy so no i think that you have every right to be rattled <laughs> well i think the worst part was is like you know that was like not even a thought in my mind when when that when that thing was kind of heading my way that that was going to happen and uh, you know something that was you know such a surprise i think that's what, what rattled me probably the most was that like uh you know that was not that was not the reaction I was expecting whatsoever. <laughs> right. And so was that like one of those inland flats that you, that the fish can only access at high tide? Yeah, high for sure. Yep, yep, for sure. And like it was, you know, there's always like probably, you know, like at least like 16 inches of water on this flat. Um but, you know, it was it was the incoming tide. I was fishing the incoming tide and, you know, I was well into the incoming tide at this point. So, um there was certainly enough water in there, but uh you know, we had been there for a week and a half and I've been on other inland flats before and never, never really seen a, a shark of that, that size there. So. Yeah. And that, uh, that same trip to the Bahamas, my buddy and I went to go check out this, this inland flat. And, uh, I had a, a bonefish rod and a cuda rod with me and your description of seeing the shark, you know, kind of right when you, right when you laid eyes on the flat reminded me of this. Cause I came over the horizon and I look out and there's this, you know, great, big, beautiful inland flat. Looks like it's about two feet deep all the way across. And right in the middle, there's just this giant submarine sitting there. And uh, so I mosey on down there and, and make a cast and this cuda comes over and just crushes the fly. And it was a huge cuda. 
uh, it uh, it broke me off that day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it broke me off. It just it just scissored thirty pound wire so fast. So I rearmed, and it was like two days later we went back to that same flat, and I assumed it was the same Cuda. Um, was hanging out in there too again, and um, I threw the fly at it, and and my buddy that was with me who. You know, he rarely ever even brings his phone out to take a photograph on our trips. And he actually like starts filming it. And I was like, oh, wow, well, he's going to film it. I'll, I'll put my best effort forth here and try to make something happen. And, and uh, the kudo was kind of reluctant, but it ended up coming and following the fly, following the fly, following the fly. So I've got all this slack all, all everywhere and it freaking eats it right on the rod tip. <laughs> and turns and I mean it's a big cuda man like you know I mean it's all a four feet it was a big cuda and uh you know it turns and just starts bolting and I'm panicking I'm trying to clear my line like I like to just see this whole thing going down I'm like oh god and it real wraps me and just snaps my fly line in half oh no <laughs> Out across like the entire flat and my buddy got the whole thing on camera it was hilarious but yeah yeah it was crazy those things are those things are mighty strong but um yeah, yeah. That, it's nuts that there was a giant shark like that in on one of those inland flats that's nothing i've ever seen like you said there's usually like some little you know bonnet heads and stuff working around but for sure. Yeah. And like, I always tell people like, you, you don't really, under, you, you don't understand like speed until you've been saltwater fishing, right? Like nothing, nothing in freshwater really moves that, that fast, right? It's <laughs> in perspective. Yeah. Oh, that shark's way over there. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> that is so true. Well, not only do we have shark um, experiences in common, we have the love of Wisconsin because you t- tell us about your home waters, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm in Black Earth, Wisconsin. It's the name of the town. Uh, we're just we're just west of Madison. Uh, it's kind of an outer suburb, I guess, of Madison. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's a it's a fantastic place to be located. Uh, we got we have lots of lots of fishing opportunities, and you know, like you're you're nice and close to a, a really awesome city. Yeah, so like we're you know like Black Earth is kind of like the gateway to the driftless, uh, if you're coming, you know, from the, the Eastern Southeastern side of it. Right. So we are kind of in the, I guess it would be the, the s- Southeast corner of, of like the, the, the full on Wisconsin driftless area. So, um, basically if you head West in any direction, you are, you are in it, um, which is pretty fantastic. Yeah. And so like one of the, one of the great things that we have is we have the opportunity to have both fantastic trout waters and uh really really great warm water um opportunities so we kind of have it all uh, which is which is really really unique to have that kind of diversity like right here at your doorstep can you kind of describe the driftless area for somebody that's never been there yeah absolutely uh, so essentially, you know, this, this, it's a, it's a, it's a region, right. And, uh, it's, it's a, I think it's like roughly like 24,000 square miles. Uh, so it's not, it's not actually huge in the grand scheme of things, but, um, it, it, it's an, it's an area that basically missed that the, the glaciers like missed, right. So the, the upper Midwest here basically got, think of it, got bulldozed over by the glaciers. When those glaciers receded, they leave a bunch of glacial drift. Um, and this little area somehow just managed to not get glaciated, right? So um, it kind of, you know, I think like 70 to 80% of it lies in Wisconsin, but then uh, Southeast Minnesota, Northeast Iowa, and a, and a little bit in uh Northwest Illinois um, is kind of like that that region, right? And the neat thing about it is because it wasn't, you know, glaciated, it's it's a very very old landscape. Um, it's a karst um, topography, so you know it's it's all limestone, sandstone. There's there's breaks in the bedrock where you know water can go in or come out, um, and so basically you have these you know in areas underground rivers um, that will hit you know, a valley and just bubble up out of the ground. Right. And so I would say all, if not the large majority of the streams within the driftless area are all 
freshwater limestone spring creeks, right? So of varying sizes from, you know, we always say like a road to sidewalk size. Uh, so some larger you'll walk in Wade ordeal, at least in Wisconsin. There's some larger ones in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, these are just super, super fertile, amazing cold water trout streams um, that are super special. I mean, I think, you know, limestone spring creeks don't you know make up maybe like one millionth of the water on earth and uh we have it we have a good chunk of it right here which is which is pretty pretty awesome um it kind of kind of overlooked in 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 a lot of ways because you know i don't think we have you know like these these famous trophy waters that you can float in a boat um everything is walking wade um for the most part yeah it's it's uh it's pretty pretty fantastic <laughs> I always like the waiting part. It kind of feels like you're stalking, you know, reminds me a bit of more of hunting. Um, I I know you were just talking about um, how you target, you have like all these different type of fish species. How do you figure out which one to target? Is there like, I mean, obviously I know muskies and you have smallmouth, but you also have trout. So like, how do you, how do you balance of like what fish you're going to target with your clients? Yeah. Oftentimes that's, it's, it's kind of due to just simply demand of like, what what people are looking for and and also time of year you know like i think um we focus kind of heavily on trout in the spring and then again um kind of the late summer into the fall um you know that you know our 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 april and may are kind of that 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 peak you know dry fly hatches um and that's you know that's going to be the the time that a lot of people are going to want to be here fishing for them uh for the trout that is you know, and then the summer months, you know, the streams start to get a little warmer. They are spring creeks, however, um, but we do get, uh, if, you've, if you've been to uh, Wisconsin or the Midwest, uh, we do get quite a bit of vegetation that grows and it'll, you know, the, the vegetation will get like over your head. It's like kind of like fishing in a jungle um, in a lot of places. So it becomes a little more difficult to get around. Um, the fishing can still be very, very, very good. Um, especially, um, if we, if we get some nice precipitation mixed in through the summer months. Um, but we choose to go out on, on the Wisconsin river and chase after our warm water species. Um, so that's, you know, largely for the summer months, that's going to be smallmouth bass. Um, we do, you know, that spring and fall is a mixture of, of trout and like pike and muskie as well. Um, and, you know, that's, it's kind of, it, it, oftentimes, like I call like May the hardest month to figure out what you want to fish for, because you can really like, everything is going to be good in May. And same thing kind of goes in like, you know, mid-September into October, like October, you know, yeah. <laughs> every, everything's fantastic. Right. October's so it's like, everywhere. So it's, <laughs> yeah. It was 400 days long. I know. I love October. We always talk about that, how much we love October. Yeah. For sure. And so, like, I've come up with, like, these things I call flex days, right? So, like, it, it allows the guide to kind of choose. And it's not like, hey, I want to fish for this. And oftentimes we, we'll get someone to book a day in May and maybe it's, like, they, they want to go trout fishing, but it's, like, super bright and sunny. I mean, these spring creeks are running gin clear most of the time. And, uh you know, it's like, well, today probably isn't the best day for that. But because it's warm out and sunny, like the smallmouth bass are really getting going. Like we should, should go do that. So um, that's kind of one way I've, I've like combated like that decision making process. Do you see that the trout are like coexisting, living with these? Like, I mean, I guess like when you're targeting like say trout, but you're probably in some waters where you're seeing pike and smallmouth. Are you seeing like they're coexisting pretty well? We have a lot of people on this podcast. The, the big pike debate with trout, especially here in Montana. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a lot of our, our, uh, our, our spring creeks, um, they're, they're primarily trout. I mean, if you go down to the lower watershed of them where, you know, they're going to maybe be running into that larger warm water river, you'll see some, some pike and maybe some bass and stuff like that making their way into there. But, but high up on the watershed where you're, where you're fishing for the trout, there's not a lot of, not a lot of mixing that goes on. Usually like the trout waters are the trout waters and, you know, um, some of those lower watershed areas is where people like to focus on, you know, the bigger trout and, and those bigger trout will, will hold their own, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, living amongst pike and bass and stuff like that so um we, we will occasionally see that um 
in this time of year, there's been rumors of like the trout dropping way down into like the warm water rivers. Um, I've never caught one like in the Wisconsin River, um, but uh, there's there's rumors that they they are down in there. Um, so, yeah, that's the the nice thing here is that there is like a quite a separation of like what you're going to do, right? There's not many rivers where you're going to go and you're going to catch a mixed bag of trout and warm water species. So it's amazing. Yeah. It sounds uh, like a really uh, intriguing place to, to fish and guide, um, you know, around here, your, your flex day thing um, is, is kind of how we operate as well. We do, you know, trout trips in the spring and then we start fishing for pike a little bit and then we go back to trout and then we go back to, you know, we switch to smallmouth and pike and um, having all that uh, variability and all those options at hand really makes uh, guiding a lot more fun, I believe. Um, also, you have to um, know a lot more water, of course. So um, for you, do you do most of the guiding or do you have um, guides underneath you too, or, uh, how does black earth operate? Yeah. So we, we have another guide. Um, he's, his name is Wyatt Reeves. He's, he's fantastic. Young guy, really, 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 really energetic. He, uh, he grew up like in the, in the, the Southern Driftless area and he knows it super well. And, and, um, he also does a lot of our bass stuff in the summer too, but, um, yeah. And then we will, we'll probably be adding uh, another guide or two here in, in the future. Uh, so it's not it's not just me. I do have a team of people I work with. What's your favorite fish to target? Oh, smallmouth bass for sure. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, we have so much in common, Kyle. It's like my favorite. I didn't realize um, how much I loved it until I caught my first smallmouth. I'm like trout. I will never. I mean, I still love catching trout, but smallmouth is like where my heart's at. They are just amazing fish, and I just didn't also realize how long, um, how many years it takes for a small mouth to get big. Like, isn't it like, aren't they like the, when you catch like a huge fish, they're like seven years old or something like that. I think even older. I'm sure Kyle knows better than us. We, we go fish, um, in Northern Wisconsin where Lauren's family is from and, um, you know, fish around the Hayward area. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the guy that we fished with over there, one of the guides from the Hayward fly fishing company was kind of filling us in on the, the lifespan of, of smallmouth, which, um, um, kind of surprised us. Like we didn't know that they yeah. could be like 20 years old. Right. Or I think Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's especially in those Northern reaches, um, you know, kind of the colder, the water stays, the, the slower and, and older that they'll, they'll get, um, yeah, it's not it's not uncommon, I think, for some of those fish to be in their twenties, you know what I mean? Uh that's which is which is incredible, right? I mean Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's almost like you're holding a dinosaur and they just do look like footballs. I mean, they're just yeah, they are um, the coolest fish. Yeah, I mean, I've just had such amazing experience. We actually went fishing for smallmouth, but Justin was just talking about um here in Montana and, and and it's not the same method that you would ever use in Wisconsin. So we did, what, what did we call that, Justin? The Oh, <laughs> out here, out here I, I employ a tactic we call the pop and drop. So you yeah. get, a, you get a, a fly rod with a popper on it and a uh, spinning rod with a little soft plastic. So you, you stir them up with the popper. And <laughs> and typically around here, the big ones are kind of reluctant to eat the popper. Um, so you stir them up with the popper and then you, you feed the big ones underneath the soft plastic. <laughs> nice. I, I like that. Yeah. It is that team. It's like, oh, but we caught like a really nice one. Um, but yeah, what, what kind of method are you, ta- how are you targeting these small mouth um, in the driftless area? Yeah. So, I mean, the, uh, the neat thing is we have kind of a, a variety of, of different, you know, waters that you can get them in. Like, I spend most of my time on the, on the Wisconsin river, which is, you know, it's at, at the point where I, where I'm guiding on it, it's, it's, it's big, right. It can be a quarter mile across in places. Um, and, um, you know, it starts at the Northern border where you're fishing up, you know, like, uh, kind of more center of the state, you know, Hayward's, um, more West, uh, the folks over, you know, I know you guys interviewed Stu and Tim and, um, yeah. Tim's a little more, more East of center, but Wisconsin's kind of like right down the cuts, the state kind of right in half and, and flows almost to the, almost to the Southern border. Uh, and then it turns at, at some point, just North of Madison, it turns and heads basically like due West into the Mississippi. Um, and that's kind of that, that area. Once it turns West is known as like the lower Wisconsin. Um, 
and it's it's like far and away different than um, most of your your classic uh, northern uh, Midwest bass water, right? It's um, you know I think you know when you when you think of Wisconsin smallmouth fishing, I'm sure you think of like you know these beautiful northern uh, freestone type rivers, dark tannic water, pine trees, boulders, that kind of stuff, right? Right, and, uh, and that. And, and I grew up like in, you know, North Central, kind of the gateway to the Northwoods. Um, and that's what I knew smallmouth water as was like this, you know, rocky, dark water, really, really kind of classic looking uh, water. And then when I when I moved down this this part of the state, um, it was a it was a drought season. And so the, the 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 trout fishing was was really tough in the summer and uh, I'd had a boat and I talked to some guy and he's like, Oh yeah, I get to go out in Wisconsin. There's, you know, and, and can't get after these smallmouth and it had been on my radar a little bit, but I, at that point I was like just enthralled with, with fly fishing for trout. Right. And hadn't really dove into like doing it for bass that much. Um, and so I went out there with my boat and I like, get to this place and I'm like, what is this guy talking about? Like, this is not bass water at all. Right. And it's the same river that like flowed through my hometown. Right. Uh, but it changes dramatically. It goes to like the sand counties and, and, and because of the glaciers, it, it's got this, this interesting valley that goes on and it's, it's primarily sand. Right. I mean, if you look at pictures of the lower Wisconsin, it, it's going to look like this basically giant sandy desert filled with sandbars and, you know, <laughs> deciduous tree like mixed hardwood forest um and it, it's a completely like wild landscape um and so it, it is so it, it took me a while to like grasp all this right and learn how to how to fish this this thing that's not a classic smallmouth river and uh yeah i mean it's 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 kind of a wild deal and we use a lot of the same tactics you would as far as like top water and streamer stuff goes but in, in a little bit different way so we uh, let me back up just a little bit there and, and say that like smallmouth are kind of designed to eat crayfish, right? That's like, if there's crayfish in a river, that's what they, that's what they want to eat when they can, right? That's their yeah. opportunistic feeders. But, but if they have the choice and there's a crayfish that's available, they're going to eat it. It's a huge protein snack. Like they have little, little nerves on the bottom of their jaw that helps them detect, you know, basically help detect crayfish. Right. So they're built, they're built to eat these things. <laughs> right. And I take yourself down to where I'm guiding for smallmouth and it's all sandy. It's shallow. Um, and you know, the crayfish populations are there, but not in, in, you know, high numbers like they are, uh, up North, not even close. Right. Just because the substrate's not right for them. You know, if you find little areas where there is some rock, you're, you're going to find crayfish and, and you'll find them here and there spread out through like some gravelly areas, but largely like they're few and far between. Um, but what, what the lower Wisconsin does have is it's, uh, enormous baitfish population, right? Because it's a, it's a shallow sandy river. Um, that is just, you know, that's a good formula for, for producing massive amounts of bait fish. Uh, and that's a, I think that's what makes the whole thing just so unique, right? Is that they're having to, to basically chase schools of bait fish, mm. kind of hanging out behind a boulder, waiting for a crayfish to come by and then just gulping it up. Right. They, they have to work hard, uh, for their for their uh, food, right? You're you're kind of painting a picture of. To me, it sounds like there's like some really cool sight fishing opportunities with these bass chasing bait fish on shallow sandbars. Yeah, definitely, right? And 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 uh, you know, that, I think that's what that hooked me so hard into this place, and that's why I've kind of like just planted roots here. Is I, I just it's such an it's such a unique thing, right? I've I've yet to really see something similar to it. Um, at least on its scale. Right. And, and so, you know, anywhere in the natural world where fish feed primarily on bait fish, right. They are generally in schools, right. That's just, it's more efficient. They need to have, you know, help corralling these big schools of bait fish. And so come to find out um, the bass in the lower Wisconsin, you know, kind of have more of like a saltwater feel to them where um, 
they hunt in packs and I was just talking like three, four bass. I'm talking sometimes like hundreds of bass, right? Like, um, where they are working as a team to, you know, corral bait fish. Right. And obviously like they don't look at each other and be like, you're my, you're my teammate. Right. So, uh, they're, uh, they, they naturally are working together, but also competing directly with each other. So it creates this crazy feeding frenzy. Um, you know, that is extremely exciting and like changes the way we fish top water compared to how you do it up north, right? Like the, their food is on the move. And so uh-huh. we're using a lot of like, like, more action. Yeah. Well, like we're using a lot of like top water minnow patterns that are like, you know, like crease, crease flies. I have one I call like the crash test dummy, which is just a version of the crease fly. Um, and, you know, we're, we're putting these things out there and moving them quickly. Like you're trying to flee and get away. Right. That speed oftentimes is what triggers them. Um, which again, like if you go up and fish with Stu or Tim, uh, like they're going to tell you like, don't, don't move that fly. You're moving it too much. Like let it sit there. Right. Well, we were told that all man. the time. They're like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, we're moving, I'm, moving. And he's like, you can calm down. Cause we're just I grew up fishing <laughs> smallmouth in central Oregon on the John day. And those bass there, like you can't move the popper fast enough. Right, right, exactly. You know, and it, it is similar to that where like, you know, things need to be on the move, right? And we'll, we'll have our, our places and, and times where we are fishing more of your, your, your classic um, way that you'd fish a popper in, in the northern, you know, northern part of the state. Uh, but I think that's what is the real, you know, kind of allure of this, this lower river is that it, it is so drastically different than anything you're going to find, at least, you know, in the Midwest, right? Um, and so that, you know, that's, that's you know, kind of, kind of the deal. And like, it, it's been, it's been kind of a fun challenge to, to be figuring all this out because, you know, when I showed up down here, there was a couple guys fishing it, but there wasn't any information on it. And, you know, like I, I went out there and I had seen this, like this crazy feeding frenzy. And I was like, what the heck was that? You know? And, and so I, you know, of course, like went back and like started digging through, the internet and books and whatever, trying to find something, right. To tell me what I just saw or like help me understand it or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and, and it just came up com- like pretty much completely empty. Right. There was a couple things I mentioned, like, you know, like, Oh, the summer months, the smallmouth get going and they, and they will be pushing bait fish around. Right. And like, that was kind of the extent of what I had because most articles down here are written about walleye and catfish <laughs> and, uh, and so like largely, I mean, I've kind of been like writing the book on it all, right? I've had to like figure it out completely on my own without like any sort of, you know, knowledge uh, from, from, from any outside sources, which is, you know, kind of a, you know, it's, it's not a common thing in this day and age, right? To, no. to like stumble upon something that there's not information about already. Uh, that is yeah. Real. Like stepping on an, into a new planet, and you get to write the rules of what that's going to look like. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and it's it's super exciting and like, but also at the same time, it can be extremely frustrating because it's like there's nobody to to bounce ideas off of or like say, right. hey, like, what do you think about this? You know, and like, so I, I mean, I've I've you know when I first started, like, I just was I was like, I just like dove deep into like trying to figure out what is this thing, you know? And like, I thought it was maybe this one spot that this happened. And then like, you know, I'm 10 years in now, uh, with my, with my guide business and like, you know, I've, (laughs) it's, it's like, it's, it's far more, um, widespread than I initially had thought. And, you know, like I, I'd catch myself like crawling up in these overhanging trees above like one of these spots to the, the crown bait fish just to like observe and watch like how do they move what are they doing you know this is like something you know it's so different than like what i grew up bass fishing you know like grow up like you know on a northern rocky river right they didn't do that maybe they did it at a creek mouth or something like that in the spring when you know maybe that creek was pu- pumping in some warmer water and the bait fish were kind of like corralled there you know like they were congregated there but then you know once the water warmed up, like all that went away. Um, but this is like how they feed all the time, right. All throughout the whole entire summer. Right. And, uh, so it's, you know, and, and, and it's to those of those, of those people who have like been following me, you know, like we, like I basically like deem this event, right. Like I've named it like the crash and that's like, 
the thing, right? <laughs> and that's like what everyone wants to experience is, is getting to see that that phenomenon that's going on out there because it is just that, right? It's happening whether you're there or not. And I think that's what makes it so unique, right? Is that that you're like you're out there like looking for this event to happen and then like you're just kind of a fly on the wall. And like I could literally I mean I do because I'm not fishing. Like I sit in my boat and I can just sit and watch this go on and on and on and it's you know it hasn't gotten old yet anyway. So uh, it's pretty pretty neat thing. We might have to. Oh, we gotta go. We gotta, we gotta go. Explore we, gotta go we gotta go experience the crash. Yeah, we only, uh. we only stick up north. I don't know why. We just like I stay at the cabin and I stay on my porch, my screen porch, and I barely leave like a mile radius of that that screen porch. Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's no reason. Not, you know, there's no reason to leave. I mean, that's I, Northern Wisconsin is like near and dear to my heart. Uh, I spent a lot of time up there. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't blame you, but yeah, it is certainly, it is certainly something uh, completely its own. And um, you, you know, black earth, you're just like, Why? well, yeah, it's funny. When I first started going up to Wisconsin with Laura and her <laughs> sisters and her mom, they're like all sitting around on the cabin on this beautiful day, reading books <laughs> on the screen porch. And I'm looking around like, what the f are we doing? We're in like the Mecca of fishing here. We're not doing this. Are we? Is this the plan? They're like, yeah, this is what we do. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I am out of here. So, the, the more and more I go up there, the more I explore, the more I am just infatuated with the place because it's so awesome. I do remember mom when you came up for your first time to Wisconsin. She's like, Justin's acting like a little boy. You were just like popping to other people's like docks and like going there. Yeah, and where are you swimming. going? Can I come along? Have fly rod. Well, <laughs> fly rod. Yeah, get in the boat. Okay, let's go see what we and, can do. Like my grandma and my aunt Addie like has a collection of like romance novels. They were horrible. Oh <laughs> Justin was like. You all we all come up here and we read romance novels <laughs> from the 70s and watch Lifetime movies? I don't think so. <laughs> my Aunt Addie and my grandma would, um, like, every time they read a book, they would describe if it was good. So it'd be like, good, very good, and excellent. So we'd all... Oh, like, Fabio <laughs> on the cover. <laughs> so, I, I've had to, like, I ended up having to, like, not read those anymore because I'm like, well... Justin's gonna never live up to Fabio. <laughs> All out fishing tomorrow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. Um, how can people uh, get in touch with you? I see. Well, you know what? We need to talk about your photography real quick. Yes, so, um, beautiful work. Yeah, I looked over this stuff. Um, yeah, pretty incredible imagery. Um, so yeah, just give us a quick uh, rundown on how you got into photography and um, and where you're at with it now. You've had stuff published in a bunch of magazines I see here. Yeah. And, you know, the my passion for fishing and, and photography kind of grew hand in hand, honestly. Like, I, um, I, I think I... I we didn't travel a lot when I was younger. And, like, I, I like, won the safety patrol uh, trip to... Washington, DC. And so like, you know, yeah, like fifth grade. Right. My mom gave me her camera. I was like, like, you know, like everyone, everyone's buying like fake Oakley's on the street. I'm like, I need more film. Right. I was like buying more film and like, just, I think, I don't know what it caught my mom. Like, I think she just about, you know, shot me after, um, you know, I got, got home and had to develop, you know, 10 reels of, of film or whatever I took of just everything. I was like, it was such a neat way to like, wow, I can like show my whole family like where I was. Right. And so <laughs> that's kind of like where I caught the the initial bug. And then, you know, I kind of just dabbled in it a little bit and, and then started fishing and like really like just love that fly fishing had taken me these, these really neat places. And like, I loved how beautiful the trout were and, and kind of on and on. Right. And so I always like just, like was wielding a camera with me and that's kind of how it all all got started and then you know like started going you know really really got in got into to fly fishing when i um i, I kind of like had a taste of it from a from a, a buddy um and then got a job out in colorado uh working at a z i was a zipline guide and um Fun. outside of durango and so i lived on the Ana like animus like along the narrow gauge train there like no road access. Like that's how I got to work was by the train. Um, and so like, I was just like immersed in like this amazing place. Right. 
um, where there's like black bears running around and, you know, wildlife everywhere. And, you know, we'd fish every single day, like where we worked was like a mile up the tracks. And so we had to walk the tracks a mile and then we just pack our, our, our rods and then have dinner and walk back to our cabins and just fish our way back until dark. And like, that was my, my life for a number of summers, um, which was like super, I think influential in, 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 you know, feeling that fire a little bit. And then, you know, kind of as I develop my fly fishing and started doing more of that, I started traveling to do it. And, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to have been all over the place. Like, you know, I've fished a lot of the, all over the world. Right. Um, and, uh, bringing a camera in hand. Right. And the, the two of them just go together really, really well. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a fun ride and like, you know, like getting to, getting to see your work and in, in a magazine is, is, is pretty great. And I know like it's becoming kind of less and less of actual printed magazines, which is, you know, it, it's a, a sign of the times, I suppose, but it's, um, there's just something neat about seeing something printed in, in a publication, right? Like that, that's, that's so neat. I know. I'm kind of sad that, well, I mean, it's still it still exists and uh and still obviously has a has an audience but uh yeah it's uh print is kind of where my kind of where my heart lies too yeah i still like to hold something in my hand and flip through the pages and um you just yeah don't see as much of it anymore but yeah and then you know like and then like you know the i hadn't you know like i i grew up in wisconsin like and i had never even heard of the the driftless area right and then i actually met i don't know if you guys know matt and jerry from the driftless angler it's a they're a great fly shop right in the kind of the 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 heart of it the viroqua wisconsin uh they have a great shop there but i actually met jerry um down in new mexico coaching hockey and she's like oh we just started a fly shop it's called the driftless angler i'm like what is this place and so like later i came back and came back from college and came back from colorado and I'm like, I remember this lady talking about this awesome trout fishing place. Like, and so I reached out to her. I'm like, I don't know if you remember me. Like, I coached your son in hockey at the skills camp down in New Mexico and blah, blah, blah. She's like, oh, my gosh. You know, and like made this crazy connection. And, and, uh, and she gave me a couple of places to check out. And I went to the like, you know, like took a took a trip into the Driftless area. And like, it just blew my mind. Like, I'm like, this is the coolest place that's like in my backyard that I've ever experienced. And, and I mean, really just kind of made the, I think at that point I realized like I'm probably never going to leave here. Um, it's, it's such a special place and it's like, you know, kind of stepping back in time when you go kind of deep into the, the, that, that driftless region, you know, there's, there's you know, people plowing their field with horses and, you know, like, just like, just old, just like, it's like going back in time a little bit. And um, there's, there's so much to be captured uh, from a photography standpoint outside of just the fishing portion portions of it, uh, you know, and then, you know, then I got into the, the lower Wisconsin and like, that is a whole nother landscape in and of itself. Right. And, you know, if you, if you were to take that picture and just tell someone like, where do you think this is? Like there, it, Wisconsin would probably be on the, at the bottom of the list of places they would think it, it, it was right. And uh, so it's been fun, like capturing this, wild landscape and i probably should have mentioned as well like the the lower wisconsin river is a, is a protected it's like basically wisconsin's um version of a wild and scenic right yeah, yeah. cool you know they they had like passed this this law and there's like a governing board and like so so none of it can really be developed except that with stuff that was already there is kind of grandfathered in and which there wasn't much of because it's a lot of like river bottom so a lot of it's non-buildable to begin with and so like it's just like this absolutely wild wilderness looking landscape you know 30 minutes from madison three hours from chicago right and like it's like the one of the most quiet places i've been and it's like you know it's like it's kind of like my it it uh it influences a lot of what i do um from from a photo standpoint anyways and it's a, it's a good place to spend time so well kyle how do folks reach out to you what's the best way for them to learn more about black earth angling yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we have a, we have a pretty fun website. Um, it's just blackearthangling.com. Uh, it'd be a good place to start. And uh, you can, we got pretty much everything you need to know about us on, on the website there. But also, I'm, I'm pretty active on, on the social media platforms, uh, Instagram and Facebook. Um, 
it's just at black earth angling co and uh i like i said i you can follow a lot of our adventures we do all sorts of fun stuff from you know our driftless trout to toothy critters to smallmouth bass to um overnight camps which i should probably mention a little thing about because that's pretty unique for us in, in this area um you're starting to see a few more of them pop up but but really like we kind of brought like overnight camps to to this area and uh, we do something called the crash camp which is like uh you know multi-day thing on the river where we're on an island and you basically show up with just like your you can bring your sleeping bag and your your fishing stuff and like we pick you up and you're out there like you know i always tell people you know camping is a is a is a wide scale of what people envision camping is so if you if you do camp it's glamping if you don't camp it's camping yeah right <laughs> right and uh, and and that uh, you know like we do a couple of multi-day um fishing trips and, and that's i think that's really good for especially people coming from a little further distance away like you know we we do we have like you know chefs we work with and you know like we, we have it we have it dialed right like our our, our multi-day camps are, are awesome you're gonna get awesome food great fishing and like we usually put these camps they're usually like annual camps so they're set during the same time period every year and that's to take advantage of kind of the the best of the best of the of the of the bass world um and uh so we so we do those and then we also do some destination stuff i'll be be talking about some yucatan tarpon and stuff like that at, at great waters cool awesome awesome yeah so we, we we have it all on our Instagram page, so uh, give, give me a follow, and uh, you'll, you won't be disappointed, I suppose. I, I do like to put out, put out some good photography out there, and um, it's enjoyable whether you, you'll ever come fishing with me or not. Go to thefebruaryroom.com, where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns, and if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at the The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.